and welcome. You are listening to an episode of the Sales Chat Show. To stream or download a host of further free episodes that will power your sales success, please visit saleschatshow.com. We really hope that you enjoy and benefit from this episode. So, hello, folks, and welcome to another episode of the Sales Chat Show. Saleschatshow.com, driving your sales forward. Over 200-plus episodes available from the Sales Chat Show. You'll, you'll find them all at saleschatshow.com, our website, or from wherever you like to get your podcasts. But enough of that. I'm in the Sales Chat Show studio with Mr. Graham Jones, Mr. Phil Jessen, and I'm Simon Hazeldean. And this episode, and Phil is taking the lead on this one, should you be soft and fluffy if you want an effective sales team? So what are you going to tell us, Mr. Jessen? Surely managers, progressive modern managers, should be friendly and warm and, and, and collaborative. What do you mean? What do you mean? Should you be soft and fluffy if you want an effective sales? Well, uh, let, let me start with the, the obvious statement. I think all managers during their career, during me, have, uh, including me, have um, tried to put oil on troubled waters in the team and to create a very harmonious environment that is soft and fluffy and everybody loves each other and they love me the boss and they love the company they love everything um but um being a bit of a musical buff as i am uh well certainly on local radio with an audience of 200 um being a bit of a a, a musical man as i am it, it struck me that there's a lot of creativity that is produced by tension within the musical world. So at the moment, a big film that is out is the Steven Spielberg production of West Side Story. But yes. going back to the origins of West Side Story, the four main protagonists, including Leonard Bernstein and Stephen Sondheim, they couldn't stand each other. If you think about more recent music, I could go through the lot. Paul McCartney and John Lennon, Stevie Nicks and Lindsay Buckingham. Ray Davis and his brother, the Oasis boys, for example, Paul Simon and Art Garfunkel, Sting, I watched the other night, fighting his two colleagues during the days of the police. So it makes you wonder, doesn't it, about the, the value of creative tension in the team. And maybe it's not something to be suppressed and removed maybe it is something to be encouraged and I can't remember which of you guys mentioned this probably years ago but in the film The Third Man the Harry Lyme character says quote in Italy for 30 years under the Borgias they had warfare terror murder and bloodshed but they still managed to produce Michelangelo Leonardo da Vinci and the Renaissance and in Switzerland, they had brotherly love, 500 years of democracy and peace. And what did they produce during that period? Nothing more than the cuckoo clock. So with apologies uh, to any of our Swiss listeners for that, indeed. Uh, for that quotation from Mr. Jesse. Yes, I've, I've probably <laughs> lost them. 
So my question for you guys is that uh, from your point of view, uh, if you imagine that you were a sales director and you quite like the idea of building in, creating some creative tension within the team in order to produce a much better ongoing result. If you like that idea, how would you actually do it? Well, I'm going to let Graham go first because we like to have a bit of disagreement on the sales chat show. And what traditionally happens is I will make some sort of statement about something and Graham will then tell me I'm wrong and provide some psychological data to do it. So what I'm going to do now is I've learnt my lesson, Phil. I'm going to let Graham go first and yes. then I'm going to attack him from behind when he's least, uh, when he's least expecting when, it. When you go second, Simon, you might like to make up the data a bit like uh, Graham. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. One Jones, thing, you will definitely have a perspective on this. Over to you, sir. One thing we do know is that humans don't like conflict. Uh, they don't. Our brain doesn't like us being in conflict. It tries to make sure that we... Avoid it at all costs because conflict is leads to unpredictability. And so uh, our brain wants everything predictable because then it can allow us to carry on as normal. And when everything's unpredictable around us, we don't like it. So conflict leads to unpredictability and therefore we don't like conflict. And I love the fact that uh, Phil has mentioned several musical partnerships who were in conflict. And it's, um, you know, you should reflect on that because all of those partnerships have now split up. Um, so the, the, the partnership in conflict may lead to a burst of creativity, but that's not what you want in your sales team. You do not want to have conflict that leads to creativity, but leads to the disbandment of your um, sales team. You want your sales team to be a coherent whole. So I'm afraid um, you need to be soft and fluffy. You need to give them a cuddle. You need to make them uh, feel wanted and feel um, that their uh, contribution is going to be something that's respected and used and that they have um, the leadership that will take into account their ideas and not just have some kind of conflict put towards them. So we don't we don't like conflict. We want to avoid it at all possibilities. I think the, the, and I'm about to disagree with him now, Phil, uh, yeah, and, and, and I haven't got any statistics, so I'm probably going to lose my argument here. Um, actually, it's all seriousness. I don't think it's one or the other, right? I think there is a place for some healthy disagreement in the team, providing you can come to some sort of way of moving forwards after you've got there. So I know Ray Dalio in his book, Principles, he's a very famous, uh, very wealthy as well, um, sort of hedge fund, et cetera, in, in the US. He he talks about a culture in his organisation of idea meritocracy. So the best idea wins, not necessarily the boss's idea. And I think having some, you might have harmony quote unquote about what you're attempting to achieve but in some of the best teams I think that I've been part of yeah we were clear about where we were headed or what we wanted to achieve but the arguments and they were sometimes arguments but they can be done and arguments can be done in a respectful 
candid, honest, you know, manner was about how, what is the best route to, to getting there? So, uh, yeah, I'm absolutely with, I mean, Graham's point is a lot of these creative partnerships, they end up not in an artistic sense, don't they? The bands break up because of artistic differences or whatever, and they, they, they kind of go their separate ways. So I think that is a, that is a cautionary, a cautionary tale. But I think it's it's where and how people disagree. But great teams, you know, there's there's always tension in groups of people, right? It's just a manifestation of humans. And crap, it's a bad teams, poor teams, my apologies, nearly said a rude word. Um, it bubbles away under the surface, right? It's not spoken about. Yeah. Whereas great teams, it's above the surface of the water. An old boss of mine one time said to me, well, one of the first things you've got to decide now you're a sales manager is, do you want them to tell you what they think in the room, in the sales meeting? or talk to each other afterwards in the car park, you know, in, in private about it. And I ne- never forgot that. You you know, if they disagree with something, you want to know about it. You want to hear about it because they might have a good point, right? Everybody's very correctly putting a lot of focus on diversity and making sure that, you know, we have a diverse workforce. And yet I think in a lot of teams and a lot of organizations, you might have diversity, but you don't allow it to manifest itself in some of the meetings and the conversations between between people, you know, point employing all these smart people from all sorts of different backgrounds, if you don't use those different thoughts yeah. and ideas, you know, mm. and that's that's kind of where I go. It's part of the, the tensions, part of the process, but you want to have alignment or at least some form of agreement to say, okay, we're gonna we're gonna go with Graham's suggestion here. I think um, I, I think one of the conclusions that I've come to is that uh, I think Graham's right that you do essentially want a harmonious team, but one of the things that does work or could work very well at meetings is to role play conflict. And what I mean by that is that um, I can remember a sales director client of mine uh, was unsure, this is going back about five or six years, he was unsure whether they should uh, scrap a certain product or relaunch it. Uh, And very cleverly and very sensibly, he asked the sales team to work in two groups. And one group had the brief, we should scrap product A. The other group had the brief, we should relaunch product A. And they spent some time thinking about that. And then they debated it furiously. And then Uh, very cleverly again, um, he swapped the groups around. So the very group that had done some work on we should scrap product A now found themselves working on the second phase of the exercise on something that was titled we should relaunch product A. So they then had an insight into the other group's thinking because they were forced to think that way. And I think another very good example of role-played friction uh, as a client of mine uh, where the the chief executive basically appointed a shadow cabinet and around the boardroom table there were directors of course holding down those six or seven key jobs but the management team that sat underneath it he appointed a shadow marketing director he appointed a shadow operations director, a shadow IT director. And once or twice a year, he invited those shadows into board meetings to 
really challenge what the board were actually up to. So the whole essence of the business was very harmonious, but conflict was created in order to produce a better result. And another thing which we've talked about before, which goes without saying, is that when we recruit people to join a team, and you can use any model that you like on this, whether it be Belbin's team roles or the insights color model or whatever, clearly we need to be recruiting differences, not similarities when it comes to the roles and contributions that people play. And I can always remember working with a client of mine in Hinkley some years ago, that's in Leicestershire for those who don't know, Um, and there was a huge amount of tension around the boardroom table. And when analysis was completed, uh, guess what? Out of the eight directors, seven of them are exactly the same Belbin team role. And when the colour exercise was done, five of the seven were the same colour. Now, I don't need to go into detail about those team roles or those colours, but it just illustrates the point that what they'd done was to recruit in their own likeness. What they hadn't done was to recruit opposites. And had they recruited opposites, I dare say they would have had a more lively and fruitful conversation around the boardroom table. I had exactly uh, the same experience doing some work with a a client, a digital advertising agency many years ago in London. And um, they'd asked for some help because they wanted their sellers to be more progressive at business development work of, of, you know, rather than farming clients using going out and doing more, more business kind of prospecting to use the old hunter farmer thing. And we ran them all through the sales management and also the sellers through a prism brain mapping, which is a neuroscience based profiling instrument. And it allows you to plot them over as well. So we plotted the sellers over the average, you know, across the group. Um, and then we put the sales managers over. It's almost virtually identical, apart from one person, this particular sales. And we were doing a debrief with the sales managers. And I said, well, with the exception of this person, person, person X, let me just use the name Caroline. That's not her name, but um, with the exception of Caroline. And two or three of the sales managers all pulled a face. They went, oh, Caroline. And I said, what's, what's the issue? Oh, she's, she's, she's very difficult to manage very difficult i said why she said oh she's very demanding she's always trying to push things forward she's she's always trying to drive it and i went as in the sort of thing you said you wanted from from your sales team and they are they are literally recruiting unless you're conscious of this as a sales manager you sort of recruit yourself or you recruit people you feel the most comfortable with and guess what they're going to be like you and you you, you've two there's two examples and i think that's something listeners if you're a sales manager sales leader gotta bear that in mind right when you're recruiting if you're not careful you're going to end up with a team team kind of all the same i'm going to return to the soft and fluffy approach because (laughs) phil you mentioned the fact that you know we need to have more diversity and so on um and simon's backing that up But one thing we know about the uh, success of businesses is that those businesses that have boards which have more women on them are more profitable 
than the businesses that have few or no women on them. Yeah. There is a direct link between profitability and women on the board. Um, and yet, even now, here in the UK, the FTSE 100 is aiming to get to 40% board membership of women, bearing in mind that there are more women in the world than men, so it should be proportionally more women on the board than men. So they're aiming to get to fewer women on the board than men by, I think it's 2040. Yes, yeah, so another, whatever it is, you know, they're aiming to do that across the FTSE 100. Well, they're not uh, exactly in, rushing at it, are in they? another 10, 15 years' time. Yeah, there's nothing stopping them doing it now. Um, but for whatever reason, they're delaying it. Um, and yet the evidence that all of those boards have in front of them is that when they put more women on the board, they will become more profitable. So what we need to look at is what is it that the women do on a board that helps increase profit? And the one thing that all the research shows us about the presence of women on, board, on boards is that it gets rid of conflict and re increases harmony. And so when we remove conflict, the board performs better. That's what the evidence tells us. Yeah, but and it's so the type of conflict. This is my point is it's, it's, it's disagreement to get to a better consensus, to get to a better result. That's my, yeah. what I would call positive tension positive maybe it's tension not conflict but but, that, but yeah but you want a unification after that after the debate you 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 want a unification don't you an alignment yeah but that was that was the good example that phil gave about i think it was phil who gave it about um swapping your perspective on something yeah so asking people asking members of the sales team to look at this idea from this perspective and then asking them to look at it from the reverse perspective and so they can then sense the conflict between those two sides of the perspective themselves without getting into conflict with the people around them so you're creating harmony by allowing them to kind of project that rather than be it yeah. So they're saying, well, if you look at it from this perspective, of course, I don't look at it from that perspective, but if you were to look at it from this perspective, this is what you would say. Mm -hmm. And equally, people who think the other way around can say, well, if you look at it from that perspective, I don't look at it from that perspective, I would think that. So you can get them to see things from the other perspective by that technique, and that will create yeah. harmony and reduce conflict, even though you're getting them to look at that difference between two sides of the argument. To go, to go back to my previous comment, like Ray Dalio, the idea of meritocracy, I think one of the things here is probably what is preventing this is people who just don't have the maturity to put their ego to one side and say, you know what, I'm going to change my mind. That idea is better than mine. You, what you have said to me, has, I think we get a lot of advocacy where people fight for their point and their opinion and they score points. And you want you want to you want to win the business against your competition, not win the argument inside your own organization, don't you? You know, it's 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 the ability to go. Ah, actually, now I've heard what you've said. That is a much better way of doing it. Or you're right. We ought to keep this product, or we ought to scrap this product. Or and you just have to have that maturity to go. No, that's a better idea than my idea. And I just think it's egos sometimes. And maybe, maybe that is what's happening on some of those boards, Graham. Maybe there's less, less ego there sometimes. 
means that it's easier for for you to get that you know to get that harmony if you like that alignment I i think i think the conclusion for me is that graham's right we want a harmonious team where unity is the name of the game but as a strategy to create albeit a manufactured tension Mm. in a meeting or a conference or a whatever uh, along the lines that we've talked about should we scrap product a or should we relaunch product a the creation of that lively disagreement and debate has got to add to the effectiveness of the team. So to use it as a strategy rather than it being mm. a core element of uh, of, of the team's uh, being. Yeah, definitely. It's you know have your debate, make a decision upon which you can you can all agree, and then and then you can get on with doing it, can't you? So debate, debate, decide, do. But and you've got to hear from everybody. And be open to entertaining people might have a better idea than 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 you have, you know. Yeah. But then you got to you have some way of bringing it all together, you know. Come together at the end. Watch out for voting, folks, because it, it feels like a fair way. But sometimes all voting does is suppresses debate. You know, okay, we can't agree. Let's vote. And you know, I'm not saying don't, but I wouldn't think it should be your first port of call because that if you probably got a bit more thrashing out of the idea to do before you get yeah. down to vote. And, 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 and let, let's not forget a lot of harmony and unity can come via disagreement and mm. people sorting out their stuff. And some years ago, I got involved with a, a major UK retailer as you guys know, um, where off to Oslo we went. Uh, I was one of a team of half a dozen people, uh, and this was the top 100 directors of the client organisation. And the exercise that they were given that I will always remember was that they had to talk to each other individually so they would go around the circle, as it were. This was done outside, actually, and a very sunny orchard, but they had to talk to each other along the lines of one great thing that you do that I would like you to show me how you do it, followed by one thing that you do that I would like you to stop doing, Mm. one thing that you do that I would like you to do more of, et cetera, et cetera. And that exercise started at about 10.30 in the morning, and the organising team had scheduled that exercise to run until lunchtime. It was still going at 5.30 in the afternoon. (laughs) And when we tried to move the group on, uh, they basically said, no, uh, you know, clear off. This is our programme, not yours. We've got some serious stuff to sort out here, and it's working. And sure enough, It did work. And in the weeks and the months and the years that followed, they were a much, much better, united, harmonious team. But they had got there through some very bumpy uh, hours where people had to take it on the chin and listen to feedback that was coming from uh, their colleagues. So, yeah, sometimes it can harmony can be a byproduct of um, 
disagreement, providing it's conducted in an, in an adult in an adult sort of way. Yeah, creative. Uh, it's important you mention that actually that harmony can come out of disagreement because it's worthwhile pointing out to our listeners here that we're recording this um, shortly before Christmas. Um, and you challenged me before the recording started that I couldn't say anything about pantomimes in this. Um, and I can, because uh, pantomime is about conflict, and we see that on the stage. Uh, so in every pantomime, and in fact, in if you look at most movies, yeah. most plays you ever see, the good person enters from stage right, so that's the left-hand side as you look at it, and the baddie enters from stage left. That's the right-hand side of the stage as you look at it from the audience. And so we know it's a code to us watching any kind of entertainment that this is a goodie, this is a baddie. And what we know at the end of every pantomime is that the goodie and the baddie have a bit of a spat all the way through. But at the end, we as the audience fall in love with both of them and everybody lives happily ever after. So the pantomime shows us that you can, as long as you code the conflict and show us that what we're observing is conflict, but we're not part of the conflict, we're all going to live happily ever after in that harmony. Before we recorded the episode and came on air, I was poking fun at Graham and saying, when he's been on a cruise ship holiday, he comes up with some great sales arguments and stories and examples from cruise ships. And he told us he was going to see the Christmas pantomime with his wife. And I said, well, I bet you can't find any examples from the pantomime to bring into this episode. And he's he's done gone it. and done it, ladies and gentlemen. He's, he's nailed it. He's it. nailed it. That's, that was very good, Graham. Give I like me a that. challenge. Uh, <laughs> yeah, very good. So uh, Graham is, uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, listening in. Um, Graham is going to the pantomime. I think it, it, before we record our next set of episodes, the Sershasa. So expect the Graham Jones sales lessons from the Christmas pantomime special coming your way probably in January 2022, which is when we'll have recorded and released the episode. So looking looking forward to that one, Mr. Jones, enormously. Thank you. So Mr. Jones, our pantomime uh, villain, uh, Mr. <laughs> Phil Jessen, our pantomime dame, and I'm Simon Aisley, and I've been the uh, the principal boy, I think, on the on this episode. And so we would just like to wish you good luck and good selling, folks. And don't forget to go to Sales Chat Show. All of those episodes there for you. Please subscribe or, or subscribe wherever you get your podcast from so you get notified of the new episodes as they come out, folks. So thank you very much for listening. Good luck and good selling, folks. You have been listening to an episode of The Sales Chat Show. To stream or download a host of further free episodes that will power your sales success, please visit saleschatshow.com. Thank you very much for listening to this episode. And from everyone here at The Sales Chat Show, we'd like to wish you good luck and good selling. Good.